live your life, boy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now, your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you, Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for Yeah, rear naked choke of Cocker Spaniel, bro. You know what I'm saying? Change the neighborhood up. Conspiracy Farm. Go. Check it out. All right. Pat here, joined as always by my co-host, Jeffrey Wilson, the genius over there down in Missouri. Jeff, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm happy as a runaway slave to be doing another show with you, my friend, and talking to our guest today. I'm stoked. <laughs> I've, not, I've not heard that term for many, many years, brother. <laughs> well, tell me that's not happy. That's happy, man. That's happy. Yes, it is. That is happy. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to introduce our guest here. His name is Richard Grant, former Navy SEAL. Uh, turned entrepreneur, followed his, uh, following his time in the military, Riches started multiple training companies to include Full Spectrum Warrior, which focuses on fitness, firearms, personal development, and canine training. Rich trains police and civilians from all around the world at his private ranch, Deep Woods, USA. In his spare time, Rich has supported many veteran charities, performing a variety of extreme challenges to raise money for various causes. Get this, Rich competed in a cross-country bicycle ride a 14-mile swim relay, 250-mile cycling event in under 36 hours, and many more. Now, Rich has his sights set on providing our special forces operators and disabled veteran service dogs through his nonprofit, Homefront Canine Project. Rich, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This is uh, it's an honor. Whenever we can get somebody of your caliber on the show, uh, we've had a couple other guys, Woody Mister and, and a couple other guys from, uh, from special forces groups, and uh, look, we love talking to you guys and respect you guys a great deal. And, you know, how long have you been out of the the teams now? Uh, I've been out since basically the very beginning of 2007. Okay. So it's been a little bit of time now. Yeah. Right, right. So um, but judging by your training videos, it doesn't look like your skills are lacking since you've left. <laughs> no, I mean, it's um, I enjoy I enjoy shooting and I enjoy martial arts and um, as, as I'm sure it resonates with you being a martial artist yourself, you know, just even if, even if you get to the point where you're not, you know, fighting professionally in the ring anymore, you still have a love for the, the sport and you still have a love for the martial arts and you continue to find ways to, you know, expand your capability and all that stuff. And that's been basically the same thing for me. Um, you know, just cause I'm out, it's just, I enjoy training still and uh, through the process of training others and, and whatnot, you know, I continue just to develop myself and uh, it's always learning. You're always learning and always trying to get better. Right. What, now, what type of martial arts have you trained in? Obviously, you've done a lot of jujitsu. Uh, have you done a lot of striking arts too? Uh, actually, more. I've done limited jujitsu. Like I, as far as coaching and teaching goes, I don't teach people jujitsu. Um, okay. I know the fundamentals of it. You know, I know enough to get by with people who don't know it. But if I were to go against like a, a seasoned jujitsu guy, they would kick my ass. Um, my my background was uh, Thai boxing okay. for a long time, and then once I got into the to the military and following the military, I started looking more into uh, different arts, and I, I started practicing and you know training under like. Sistema, I know that one can be controversial sometimes. Um, you know, Kapap, 
Krav Maga, the okay. Naka fighting system out of Serbia, um, you know, the Filipino Cali and the Sayak Cali, you know, and just trying different combative systems and fight systems and taking little bits and pieces from each one and going, how could that make me better in the the combatives world as far as like the American mindset and, and working more so with firearms and weapons and close quarters. How can I take pieces of that and start to, you know, put together a well-rounded, you know, package for, for those types of situations. Jeet Kune yeah. 101, right? Utilize what is useful and reject, which is not. Yeah. Yeah. And, there, and there's certain things like, you know, uh, the Sistema one, the Russian martial art, which I know a lot of times there's like videos on YouTube and, you know, it's really like liquid and like there's a lot of like fluidity to it. And from a fight system standpoint, I kind of feel like now there's dudes who are like masters in it and I'm sure they would, you know, they can scrap really good. And these guys were super tough dudes when I was training with them. But for me personally, I felt like that system was kind of like an Aikido, like until you get to black belt level, if you try that in a street fight, you're going to get your ass kicked. Mm. you know where but there was so many because it was just it was too technical everything was based on a counter and a redirection of energy so um you know you have to be good enough to actually be able to predict and visualize and see the movement first so that you can redirect it you know what i mean so right. and right. it takes a long time to master that stuff but coming out of that there was so many movement techniques that i thought were really good and I took a lot of things from Sistema and helped create what we call our combat mobility system and which moving with our firearm and having like a good, you know, um, being able to get in and out of different body positions without making hard bone to ground contact and move with both hands on the weapon. There was things from that that was like, this is genius. This is great movement. And a lot of those movements transitioned over to like the jujitsu's and, um gymnastics and yogas and stuff like that Hmm. so but that for that i was like this is great stuff but so it was just kind of taking bits and pieces of each of each system um you know and and just trying to figure out what works for me you know i like i like sistema i've done some sistema with a a good buddy a good buddy of mine who we started training together many years ago we actually fought each other in college twice he was a all-american lineman for northern iowa and i was i was wrestling in college and we got in a fight in the summer one time and we tore up a bar it was about 285 back then and then we we got in a fight at a park once and we fought for about 45 minutes <laughs> we both went to the hospital and he became a police officer after that after college and i walked into uh, the first martial arts gym that i trained in it was a karate kickboxing place and i walked in there and there he was and i went you gotta be kidding me i can't get rid of this guy so our instructor would have us fight each other every Friday night until we beat the animosity out of each other. And then he became the best man in my wedding. And I was the best man in his wedding. We became lifelong friends, but he, one of the, yeah, one of the, one of the meanest, toughest dudes, a great, great human being uh, here in Davenport, Iowa, the Davenport police department. And uh, he and I have trained together for, for a long time, but he got heavy into the Sistema. And I tell you what, you you know, there's a lot with that. And and like you were saying, I, I used to practice with him, you know, with, with, uh, Training weapons, of course, because I'm I'm not an expert like a Navy SEAL. I don't want to shoot myself rolling around and and doing stuff. But uh, but learning the fundamentals and and you know how to how to get in those positions to shoot underneath vehicles and and stuff, I found really fascinating. 
and a lot of the concepts of absorbing energy from somebody's strike and letting your body rotate and strike with the opposite side and stuff. It, it made sense to me. It really did. It was pretty cool stuff. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of, there's a lot of takeaways from it. And one of the biggest takeaways from it for, for me was really getting control of your breathing. Like there's so much of it. It has to do with breathing. And I know um, if you go and do like yoga and, and other things that are of that nature, you know, if you do yoga class, like it's, it's so much breathing into almost like a form of meditation, like a moving meditation. And one of the main things with, with the systemic stuff that I took away at least was how much emphasis was on the breathing right. and, and the, the relaxation and, and just that awareness of your body and stuff like that. It was really, it was really cool to, to train. I trained it for years. Um, but at the same time, while I was training that, I was still training Thai boxing and, and Naka, which is like the complete opposite. It's just big, gross motor movements, and it's just smashing people. And every time you touch them, it should hurt. And it's not a it's not a fluid thing. It's a very uh, like rigid and and you know force on force kind of approach to just smashing through things versus to redirect things. Um, more so like, it's cool. More like it, kind of more like if you know there's going to be a fight, just explode into them and wreck them as fast as you can. Exactly. And, and so, but it's, it's a nice balance to be able to train both and have to be, to be able to flow back and forth between, you know, in a certain moment I can be fluid and then go straight into really hard, aggressive, you know, strikes and, you know, clinches that are attacking the nervous system or like the soft, like bone structures of, of the jawline or the neck and stuff like that, and to be able to just transition back and forth. Well, because um, I think different each situation presents a different, you know, approach. Does it not? Uh, yeah, I believe so. But like the the thing with the Naka stuff is it's such gross motor movements. Like anything else, you have to practice it. But it's like it, it's almost like idiot proof. You know, it's it's like we got four strikes. They're real simple, and they all have been proven to work over time why complicate this? You right. know what I mean? <laughs> where, where the other one is like, you need to learn to be loose and flow. And it just takes a lot more time to get good at it, but they both present, um, they both present beneficial things, you know, if you, if you practice them. Right. When right. did, when did now, you, was, I'm sorry, oh, go ahead, Jeff. I was sorry. just wondering when did you, I mean, obviously this takes a long time to, you know, both of you guys, you know, spend a lot of time mastering these arts. When did that particular bug bite you? And uh, what was it exactly? Was it a Bruce Lee movie or, you know what I mean? What was your, what was your intro to the martial arts and what age were you? Well, my introduction to martial arts, I was like 14 years old and I was getting ready to go to high school and I was like 135 pounds. And my brother was like, dude, you're going to get your ass kicked in high school. You're way too small. He's like, I heard of this fight club in this dude's basement. I got to take you there and get you toughened up. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it was one of those things where it's like you're being voluntold. Like, it, like he took me there. I didn't really have a choice. Right. You know, <laughs> and, uh, so we show up to this dude's basement and what it was is Thai boxing. But it was this was, you know, in the the early 90s or so, uh, mid 90s. So no one really knew what Thai, Muay Thai was yet. You know, the UFC and MMA was like new to the scene. So no one knew what to call this. They just called it fight. They were people were calling it fight club. When I got there, the instructor who was, you know, he was uh, one of the students under crew Phil nurse out of New York City. Um, 
And it was like, no, this is Muay Thai, dude. This is like a, a kickboxing from Thailand. I'm like, oh, okay. So well, I started training there when I was like in eighth grade going in the freshman year. And I just fell in love with it. So I was doing Thai boxing all through high school. And then I went straight from high school into the military. And then when I got into the military, it was kind of like, there's more to this because now we're talking about like fighting in, in like war and the seals have their, their fight system that they put us through at the time. The one that we went through was called close quarters, um, defense CQD. And that was, yeah, who was running that? Who was teaching that? I forget. That's that system was developed by Dwayne Dieter, Dwayne Dieter's close quarters defense. And right. again, just like anything else with, with Dwayne Dieter, with his thing, he had. This was the first time I saw anyone like striking with the with the rifle or a pistol, and I was like, well, I mean, at this time I'm only like 19 years old, so 19, 20 years old, so I really didn't have much experience growing up in New Jersey with guns at all. Like I hadn't actually. I've only shot a, a pistol two times in my entire life before I went into the Navy, you know. So how deep were you into your martial arts training when you went into the Navy? My martial arts training was basically Thai boxing. Okay. And so, but I was really into Thai boxing, you know, I was training, uh, I was training three days, three days a week in like at the, at the Thai boxing, uh, gym or studio or whatever it changed over the years where he had it. But, um, and then the other times I was, you know, working out, you know, playing sports, you know, but even when I was playing sports like lacrosse, when I finished up lacrosse practice, I'd still go Thai box, you know? So it was like the, the Thai boxing was, was my thing, mm. you know? And, and the other sports were, you know, yeah, I'm going to go play this cause it's fun. I like it. My friends are there, you know, but the, but that was like my, my passion. Um, but, but then once we got into the, into the Navy, it was like, wow, this just got serious. You know what I mean? Nine 11 happened. We're at the team. And then we, we had some, guys come in from uh Sayoc Cali to start teaching us like knife knife fighting or you know the the foundations like I, I wouldn't you know say that I'm you know a Sayoc Cali specialist you know what I mean like those guys are amazing at what they do and it's a, just such a higher level level than than my ability or understanding you know what I mean but we would train with those guys and um make sure that we were capable of fighting with knives, defending ourselves to the to a baseline with with uh, with edged weapons or from edged weapons, you know, vice versa. But that was kind of where where it started coming in. And uh, honestly, like the seals at the time, they weren't going heavy into the combatives. Like the the baseline of the combatives was, we're going to teach you how to do weapon strikes with your gun in your hand. Because why in the world would you ever not have a gun in your hand? It's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. if someone grabs your gun, smash them with your gun. If they're being non-compliant but they don't have a weapon, like you can do an offhand strike with taking one hand off the gun. Or if they're being way too com- non-compliant, smash them with the muzzle and then detain them or whatever. You know what I mean? So we were what's doing- left, what's le- Detain what's left of them. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of some of the after-action reports of some of those muzzle strikes are way, way more devastating than – the average person would think when you watch movies and you see someone get pistol whipped or something and they're like, Oh man, that hurt. And they like stand up. Like, it's not like <laughs> yeah. you get. Yeah. So they're really nasty. So you got to 
pick and choose when you do those weapon strikes because you're really going to mess somebody up. Yeah, I mean, they, you put the put the barrel of your long gun through somebody's forehead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so, that was the thing. We we I I you know was not privy way back in the day when when uh, big large groups of, of team guys would show up at my gym and and uh, my buddy Mark Hansen, the the law enforcement guy, the cop, goes, uh, you know, what do you guys do? when you know somebody's not compliant you know because when we do a, a drug raid or a warrant or whatever you know we just put our hand on their face face palm them and just guide them to the ground down 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 <laughs> and the team yeah. leader goes yeah we just punch a hole in their face with our gun <laughs> yeah yeah you know, two totally from different jobs yeah from a military standpoint it's like you can in in many cases you can kind of get away with that stuff under certain circumstances but in law enforcement obviously the the um the sensitivity and the nature of it being with with you know non-war zone um like rules of engagement and and procedures use of, like use you, of force you, stuff and yeah everything. like yeah. yeah you can't do that but so what, that's one of the things that i've been working with over the years a lot with law enforcement is is the utilization of the high ready position which that high ready position is a very good position for doing those weapon strikes and it makes it very hard for someone to counter your gun when you have the weapon, so if, if people are listening and like, what the hell's a high ready? So the high ready would essentially be, I hold, if you imagine someone in a boxing stance and then you kind of like take your hands and you bring your hands together so they're touching and the, the pistol would be in your hand. So your elbows are a little bit wider than the, where your hands are. You're making like a, like a chevron and the weapon is up in front of your face. So your hands are up in a fighting position and you're working in confined spaces. If someone were to try to grab your gun and grab you, your arms are still in that fighting position. And, and in this, it makes it very easy and very effective to use the gun as a bludgeoning tool to create the space necessary to get the angle so you can get a shot off if needed. So it's much harder to disarm someone who's holding a, a weapon in the high ready than it is like the low ready. Now the low ready is deemed to be safer, um, but in all realities, like when you pressure test it, it's not. You know, it, it's it just doesn't look as scary. But working with different police departments, they're starting to realize the benefits of this of this position, um, and 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 in some cases, are starting to go. Okay, well, maybe a weapon strike in the case of someone trying to grab hold of the gun is actually like the time where it is legit. You sure. know what I mean? Like not coming in and saying, get on the ground, get on the ground. They're not complying and smash them in the face. But in the case that someone grabs your hand and tries to wrestle you for your gun, you know, that is a, that is the opportunity of when in breaking the contact away, one of those muzzle strikes does, you know, do the damage necessary in many cases where it can stun the person enough for you to, to break away. So, um, and if they keep yeah. coming, then yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's very hard if someone if someone's holding on to the to the weapon, you know. And we see this a lot. So we do a lot of work with you know when when I'm running the classes and teaching, you know, gun disarming or 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 or, or weapons combatives. The the whole premise behind it is is we teach gun disarms, not necessarily so like if you're at the ATM machine and someone pulls a gun on you, that you try to disarm the pistol from them, like, dude, just give them your wallet. You know what I mean? Right. You lost, they right. got you. You know, but 
It's more so that if you as a homeowner or you as a concealed carry, um, you know, citizen or a law enforcement officer, you draw your weapon in self-defense and not having a good understanding of how easy it is to have that gun disarmed, you now know how easy it is to do the disarm. So the whole purpose of teaching you that is so you can counter having your own gun taken away. And yeah, becomes- Pat actually mentioned that a while ago on the show, and maybe it was a private conversation. It is staggering the number of people um, who are killed by their own gun, not just like accidental cleaning, but in the situation right. where you pull it and it actually you get it taken from you. Exactly, and and when you're a police officer or you're you know maybe a, it could be a civilian too, but more so with law enforcement, when you have your rifle with a sling on or a sub gun with a sling on. The sling is a very good piece of equipment, but if someone gets their hand on your weapon, you better know and you've better practice how to counter that disarm because that sling will be used against you so quickly and makes you so vulnerable, you know, and again, I'm not saying we shouldn't use slings. I use a sling, but you definitely want to practice countering the disarm so that way your gun doesn't get used against you just as you could use it as a bludgeoning tool. You're now stuck to it. Right. And if someone gets their hands on that thing and you don't have the angle to shoot them, you better be able to very quickly go into strikes so you can get the spacing where you can get the muzzle pointed back at them, you know, versus trying to do a tug of war because you're going to do a tug of war isn't effective. And you've you know? got all the you've got all the confusion and the, you know, the the, the, the the situations with the machinery not working correctly, their hand, your hand on the slide, all kinds of crazy stuff going on, right? Exactly. So you're in, in my opinion, in, in that proximity, because the only benefit of a firearm is distance. That's it. You know, in many cases, if you were to take someone and put them in like a five by five box and one person could take a knife and one person could take a shotgun, like if you're in a five by five box, which one would you want to have? Mm. You know what I mean? Like if you're fighting right. in a bathroom stall, like would you want a shotgun or a knife? A knife is much easier to fight with in a, in a, in a bathroom stall than a shotgun is because the whole advantage of the firearm is distance. So once we've lost that distance, the mindset for me personally changes that this is a bludgeoning tool as if I had a bow staff or a sword or, you know, a crowbar, whatever, you know, a a striking weapon. And once I break contact and I have space, now it becomes a projectile, a projectile weapon again. You know what I mean? Like no one, like no one fights, with a bow and arrow at five feet away, you know what I mean? If you would, you'd probably be better off whacking the person with the bow than you would be trying to load an arrow. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Not not that it can't be. Now you, you would go to, I mean, if you, if you had a long gun, you're obviously going to have a a sidearm also, you know? So if they get a hold of your, if they get a hold of your, your long gun, you're, you're going to transition to your pistol almost right away, right away. If you, if you have to, right. That is one technique. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So if I have a, if I have a long gun that's on a sling, and someone gets a hold of the long gun, if I can grab a hold of them and basically pin the rifle between the two of us, right. so I basically put them into a like a lock to where I'm giving them like essentially a bear hug, and um, or something like that, and then pinning that rifle between us so they can't utilize it against me because the gun's now pointed sideways, then I could transition to a pistol. And, you know, do appropriate shots based on where I'm grabbing them so I don't shoot my own arm. But, um, but yeah, that would be, that would be a, a great example of a transition. But then it's just, okay, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you grab, you hear someone breaking in your house, did you put on your pistol belt and do you have both weapons? 
or did you just grab a rifle or did you just grab a shotgun or do you ju just have a pistol? So you might not have the time to, um, to have like kit on with, with multiple options to fight with, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's in a law enforcement standpoint, maybe you do, maybe you're totally tacked out and stuff like that. And what if you're totally tacked out and then, you know, you have other weapons that you can use also that like, if you're wearing a ballistic helmet, you ever headbutt someone with the edge of your ballistic helmet, like that's going to smash some dudes pretty bad. So in that same case of, you know, if I go to do that bear hug and I'm wearing, if I'm wearing a helmet, I could do that bear hug to pin the rifle while I'm closing that gap for the bear hug. I'm doing a headbutt with my helmet while I'm drawing for the pistol. So you can start using your gear as its own, you know, way of, you know, amplifying or, or modifying your strikes, you know what I mean? To make all your strikes more effective based on the equipment that you have to carry around. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, there was one time, and I think I, I talked about this with you on the phone uh, previously, Rich, when we had spoken, but we did a, we did a conference down in Las Vegas years back and there were 88 teams of four. It was either defensive tactics instructors from around the country or combatives, military combatives instructors that came to this conference. And we did a scenario where it was myself and, and Don Roberts, who's a co-founder of Fireworks Combatives with me. And we were <laughs> we, we were breaking into a car, basically. And the, the officers or soldiers, they were only given a duty belt, law enforcement duty belt and a, and a training weapon. And they would come upon us breaking into the vehicle and they weren't told what the scenario was or anything like that. And we just turned toward them and we had fist equipment on so they could beat the hell out of us and just held our arms up and said, we don't have any, we, we don't, we're not armed. What are you going to do about it? And they would all start to start to panic and start trying to put their, put their sidearms in. And then they'd go hands on with us. And we, we weren't fighting them. We weren't punching them. We weren't kicking them. We were just, we were just passive resistors, just not letting them put us on the ground. And in the meantime, we'd just disarm somebody or sometimes disarm two of them and then start shooting them. And out of the 88 teams of four, uh, 87 of them failed. They got, they got shot. At least one person got shot. And, and at the same time, at the end of every scenario, they all would look down at their holster to see who lost their gun because they, they just had tunnel vision during the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So it was just something that was so important to point out to them, you know, that they weren't paying attention to anybody's hands during, during the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that's, it, you do, you do s scenarios like that. And, you know, it, it's just one of the unfortunate things is like the, the police departments really don't have the amount of training that, um, that they, that they truly need. And it's just a lot of it has to do with time. It has to do with budget. And, uh, you know, many times they're, they're asked to do a job that, that is, you know, it's, it's just tricky because they don't have the, um, the, the capability in many cases just based on it. And that's, and that was one of the things that I was seeing in the SEAL team when I got there because they actually, they, so they trained us in that weapon striking stuff from Dwayne Dieter, but that was it. And they were like, yeah, dude, we used to do this program called scars and we used to teach all these combatives and how to break people's arms and snap people's necks. And you're like, you know what? You know how many dudes have gotten a hand-to-hand -hand combat kills? You know, like, you could count them on one hand. You know, they go, you know how many people went and did that shit in a bar and put people in hospital and got us lawsuits and wound up in jail? Mm. Like, over 300. So when we look at the risk versus reward, we could teach you guys how to do this stuff. The war we're going to is in the desert. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need 
we need to be focused on new technology training for all this stuff that was coming out. You know, that was the last 15 years has been like a technology boom. So everything was constantly changing, changing so fast. And they're like, with all the things we need to do, we didn't, they didn't feel like the combative side of the house was something they really needed to focus on. So that's where it's one of those things where you go, okay, do we just take the Navy's word for it and say that's good enough? Or do we all pitch in on our own dime and invest in ourselves and make sure that we're the best prepared because we're the ones who are actually having to go deploy and, and go do the job. So like we could just go for, you know, what the status quo is or we could go above and beyond what the Navy's asking us to do. And that's, and that's what we personally did. And I know there's a lot of police officers who do that. I have police officers who fly in from all over the country we have people who fly in from Europe and South America and Central America to come in and get training. So there's a lot of people who are seeking, you know, the knowledge or, or in the process of trying to continue to better themselves. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who don't. Did you find that yeah. Navy statistic to be true that, you know, they kind of stopped training because those kind of kills weren't uh, hand-to-hand related D- during your service? Did you find that that training was actually useful hand-to-hand up, up close and personal stuff? Well, I, I mean, the the thing with it is, is even even if you were going to put your hands on like uh, a prisoner to do detention work, like those officers were were going against Pat and that drill you were talking about, like if they had a background, and I know I don't have the biggest background in jujitsu, but just having the confidence to go hands on with someone, right? And know that you can control them, you know, or the or you have you're comfortable going hands on, and and rolling and scrapping and getting control of someone changes the changes the scenario, because the person who walks into that and goes, oh shit, and they start doubting themselves and they're getting nervous and all that kind of stuff, they start they stop making good judgment calls because. They're emotionally not ready because they're getting themselves psyched out because they're uncomfortable with the situation where if you have someone who is really good hands on and, and feels like they're, they're good to go, then they, they just have more confidence. They, they trust themselves. They're more comfortable. They can, they can stay relaxed through the situation better and make better decisions through it. And it's just kind of one of those things in my opinion is like, yeah, man, you can pick up a weapon and go put a red dot on it and shoot really fast and well, you know, using a red dot. But that still doesn't mean that you shouldn't have the knowledge of shooting with iron sights. And it's like iron sights are the foundation. Right. You know what I mean? Anyone who shoots should know how to shoot with iron sights. And then if you want to add an optic onto it, cool. But just because they invented, you know, electronic optics doesn't mean that you throw your ability to understand the foundations of, of shooting a rifle with iron sights out the window. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Right. Right. And that, that's the thing is, you know, uh, the first time I went shooting out in Virginia with a bunch of seals, I didn't even want to pick up the gun after watching them. I went, this is ridiculous. The plates are just going ding, 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 um, <laughs> at that C2 training facility out there. And then the, the instructor, uh, gave me a shotgun. He goes, hit those eight targets. Let me see how fast you can do it. I'm going to start the timer. Are you ready? And I and I, I did it and I hit the targets and he goes, Yeah, you know, not bad for a civilian. That's all right. And he goes, All right, you take the timer, give me the gun. And he's got eight shells in his left hand and the gun in his right. He goes, I'm gonna load one, shoot it, load one, shoot it, load one, shoot it, and you, you time me. 
and it, it was so fast and so accurate that, that I just it, it was it was mind boggling to me how how efficient they are. That's I, I tried to explain to people that I would rather have an entire National Guard unit hunting me, a thousand people hunting me, before I'd have one one SF guy that's that's you know that highly trained hunting me because you're you're really you're done. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> And it's it's that's that's the best way I can explain it is just you, you just really don't have a prayer you know just just throw in a white flag and and you know be done with it but you know let let's talk about your your training facility Deepwoods USA yeah you've got uh, quite a bit of acreage down there really cool place and and we'll get your Instagram account and everything out to everybody here at the end of the broadcast so that people can go check out your videos because it's some really really cool stuff uh, but you know if I came down there. You know, am I going to learn things like, you know, carjacking defense, you know, uh, a home a home uh, invasion, uh, room and building clearing, you know, all these different things that, that civilians really should know to protect themselves. Um, they can certainly get that with you, right? Yeah, they can get that. And what, what we do is like, so on the, on the property, like I designed it because I felt like, in my opinion, shooting ranges are designed the wrong way. Um, and, and I know that's an arrogant statement, but the the there's a there's a necessity to do the fundamentals and to do line shooting and there's i I don't want to say i catch heat in the firearms industry but there's a little bit of of controversy in the in the approach and what what most people do and what they're like the not to throw the nra under the bus but it's it just based on overall safety and I'm not saying we shouldn't be safe, but with the idea of like firearm safety is everyone gets online and we're going to shoot some rounds and we're going to micromanage everything you do because you're an idiot and <laughs> you don't know what you're doing and you're going to shoot yourself in the leg. And, you know, I am going to yell at you before you even start to turn because you're an idiot and you're going to shoot the person next to you. And granted, there are some stupid people who come to the range and do some really dumb stuff. So I get where that comes from. But the problem is if you constantly treat people like they're freaking idiots and you micromanage everything they do, then you never give them the opportunity to ever actually be confident in themselves and to move with their firearm. So all these people are like, until you're a super professional like competition shooter – we're going to treat you like you're an idiot <laughs> because you're not capable of moving with your firearm. And I just, to me personally, that's counterproductive. And I think it's the wrong way of going about it. In my opinion, you should learn to move with the firearm first. You should get comfortable moving and handling it. And we can do dry fire drills. We can do simunition drills and all this kind of stuff. We're talking about tactical shooting. So, in, in this nature, you start to become familiar with your movement. You become familiar with your weapons handling because most people who come out there, they already own guns and they already have their concealed carry license and right. that gun is already in the car. So if they're already carrying it, why am I going to wait five years to when they become a professional competition shooter to go, okay, now you can actually do something that involves movement with your firearm, right? When they've been moving with their firearm every day the last five years. So let's make sure their movement's good. You know what I mean? Like if anything else, let's just make sure you don't screw up the movement part. And then on your own time, you can continue to go to the range and dial in your fundamentals of shooting accurate and fast. So we'll break up the training in 
to different categories of all that stuff, like the vehicle, CQB, your family home protection, team movement and communication, um, strategic thinking under stress is one of the ones we have coming up, uh, which is like getting you to do multitask thinking and, and, you know, cognitive thinking drills while shooting and people like that's too advanced for a new shooter. And it's like, okay, well, if they wind up at an active shooter event, can they make decision-making while doing the fundamentals of shooting? Like, I know it seems like it's too far advanced, but that's the reality of what someone might do. And if you want them to pull that gun out in their church and shoot the wrong person, or do you want them to pull out the gun, shoot at the right person, but maybe take three shots to hit them between, you know, if this happened next month. And, right. and, and that's kind of like, so the, the range is designed in a way that allows us to do 360 degree training where it allows us to train out of vehicles, um, to do that close quarters, home protection stuff. Uh, and, and what, but it makes the classes smaller. So usually we do smaller classes, like I usually cap out a lot of the classes at like 12 people, you know, and we're looking more for the quality of the training versus packing out giant 20 to 30 person classes. Not that I have anything against that. It's just I you can't really do the the, the classes the way that I'm running them with that many people. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a lot. I mean, it's a lot easier for me to teach. You know, I can teach a hundred cops defensive tactics because generally, as a group, they're all going to do the same thing, same three things wrong on what I'm teaching them, and I can teach them as a group and say these are the three things you're doing wrong, and then center them back up and say, okay, everybody's a lot of people are still doing this part wrong. Once it's fixed, then I can move on. But there's no, there's no, there, there's no projectiles flying around. You know, people aren't at risk of dying in that <laughs> scenario. So it's a, yeah, it's a totally different setting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's what we kind of designed the the range around. It was like you know, the the range is designed in a way where we can, you know, do movement, bring it in, and every time people come out, the range is set up a different way. So it's very rare that anyone comes and trains out there and they see the same range twice. And then, right. you know, we also have our long distance shooting so we can shoot out to like 850, 875 yards. And when we have like a cabin out there and we've just built an obstacle course and uh, we do our canine training and stuff. So there's a lot going on out there. It's pretty fun. But well, when we finally, awesome. when we finally get this, when we finally get this show on the road champ, that sounds like an awesome episode. That's coming down and shooting that and uh, oh, hell going yeah. through the oh, rigors, man. Hell. That'd be pretty. Oh, sweet. you definitely, you definitely should. It'd be, it'd be a lot of fun. It, where, is it, where is it at again? It's in central Florida. It's about an hour north of Orlando, like 40 minutes, you know, west of Daytona Beach. Okay. Yeah, so pretty easy. We've got a couple of airports and options to get into down there. Yeah, that sounds fun, man. That sounds real fun. Champ, you were going to say something? Yeah, I, I just wanted to say that, that – uh, did you guys do a lot of – I know you did a lot of live ammo training, of course, uh, in the teams and everything, and uh, – you know, when you were and everything like that, which is dangerous enough itself in, in shoot houses and everything. But uh, did you guys do a lot of simunition, uh, offense versus defense type type stuff? Yeah. Yeah, we did a okay. lot of it. Okay. Because okay. that's, I mean, that's, I was always the bad guy for a lot of years. Uh, you know, all the departments in the area would say, hey, we're doing a big training, uh, simunition stuff. And you're, a, <laughs> you're, you're an armed drug dealer. That's what you are today. And, <laughs> and they would, and so I, I, you know, I learned the hard way. I got shot up. Trust me, I got, I got shot up by a, a lot of guys with, with uh, AR uh, simunition where they'd give me like a nine millimeter pistol. I'm like, this, this in no way, shape, or form is <laughs> this fair. This isn't fair. 
Yeah. And, but, uh, but you know, I got pretty decent at ambushing them and stuff like that and, and being able to avoid and find cover and, and have some fun, at least at least hit a few people. But but that was the, the hard way of training. But it, what it did teach me is that everything changes when you're getting shot back at. Yep. I mean, you get the tunnel vision and all of that stuff, especially like the first five times I ever did it. Um, it it's even though, you know, you're not going to die. It's it's still it's you, it sucks getting hit with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's a very humbling experience and it really teaches you very quickly what works and what doesn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause just cause you get the bad guy, it's like, just cause you get the bad guy doesn't mean you win if you still got peppered like three times yourself, yeah. you know? And, and it's like, if it's an active shooter thing and you want to do your, the, the hero mission and take out the bad guy and it's like, but you saved all the people, you know what I mean? Maybe that happens, but if possible, let's try to take out the bad guy fast without getting ourselves shot at the same time. Like that's kind of better, best case scenario, right, you know? Right. So, um, but the, but you start learning what works and, and what doesn't work a lot. And when I see a lot of photos of, um, of people doing these tactical competition shooting drills and their use of cover is just super sloppy and, and it's not realistic in the form of if someone was actually shooting back, that's right. not how you would position your body. Or maybe you would position your body, but you're going to get shot at the same time. Right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. one of the things, one of the things when we'd run the scenario based training was when I had the bad guys. So let's say I was coaching you as, as playing the bad guy. What I like to do, cause what, what happens is very, there's a, there's a fine balance of beating up the police and making them not confident. Right. right. Versus, Hey dude, if they screw up, you need to make them pay for it. So what I, what I like to do is if you're the bad guy, for example, if you were in a room, you know, I might have you put your gun on the table and as the police are moving through the hallway and approaching that doorway, maybe not shadows or noise at this point, but if you see like their leg or their elbow, because they're not, they're, they're, you know, telegraphing the movement and they're exposing themselves before you, they see you and the gut with the gun. Um, then you see their elbow from inside the room. You can pick the gun up and now you can ambush them when they come around that corner. But at the flip side, if they're doing their movement correctly and they don't overexpose themselves. And the first thing that you see is that gun come around the corner with their eyes behind it. Then you can make that decision, right. To then reach for the gun and they can say, don't move, you know, keep your hands up and you reach for the gun and they shoot you. Or you just keep your hands up and see if they shoot you when they shouldn't have shot you. But yeah. now you give you give them the opportunity to win. But if they screw up, you then you then make them pay for it. You know what I mean? But then <laughs> right. now, yeah. But now it now it starts to go, man. Oh, dude, I didn't realize of overexposing because what will happen is sometimes people will do it and they'll they'll have the the person in the rooms like having an anxiety attack because they know they got like 15 dudes coming for them. You know what I mean? So they're like, all right. I just want to at least get a couple of them, you know, hmm. but if, if every time the cops go in the room, they get hammered then they start losing their confidence and you wind up with something where you have police officers like the dude down in Miami when the school is getting shot up and he's hiding outside the school and doesn't go in. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's not, and unfortunately, you know, because of society's pressure, you know, upon police departments and upon society in general, you know, citizens, everybody has a cell phone, everybody's taking pictures. You know, the video always starts 
after something happened that, that pissed the cop off, you know, and they, they, they're, they're more worried about getting sued than getting killed half the time. And, and so they have a ma- massive amount of pressure on them. And also oh, because yeah. of, of society, you know, low, uh, hiring standards have gone down a lot. So you've got people, you know, that have a gun on their hip. And, you know, I mean, the average decent high school wrestler could take that gun from them. And that's that's the scary part is that those people, you know, in my mind, shouldn't be out on the streets. They absolutely should not be out on the streets. They're they're a walking dead man. If a, if a, if a hardened criminal wants to take that weapon, um, they're going to get it. And it's it's a scary scenario. And people wonder why cops are shooting unarmed people. Well, it's because they're scared to death. The city isn't paying for enough training. And they they you know, most most cops when they're when they're rookies have never been in a fight in their life. Yeah. No, that's a, that's that's a, such a true statement. It's funny you say that because I remember I was working with one of the uh, Native American um, nations in in New York, and I was there doing their security training for for their territory, right? And the people who who were the security guards were of their nation, and they wanted me to come in and do all the firearms training. And while I was getting these guys all trained up, there was this contract I had. I was going up there monthly for a week out of the month. And this went on for almost a year and we we're doing all sorts of stuff. And I was asking them, I'm like, Hey guys, you know, we're getting really good at all this firearm stuff and, and everything. Like, what are you guys doing for your combatives? And how many guys have actually been in like a fist fight? Like you guys been in street fights and most of the guys hadn't, you know, maybe they got in like yeah, one fight yeah. or, and I was like, all right, so what we need to do, and I went and talked to like the elders, and I'm like, I know you guys hired me for firearms training, but we need to start integrating combatives. Like, you need to budget me time for us to do combatives, because what's going to happen is, if we don't give these guys a middle ground, what's hmm. going to happen is they're not, they're not going to pull their gun because they don't want to shoot the guy, right? And then they're going to get themselves hurt, or they don't have a middle ground, like like the ability to, to go hands-on it's, it's either they do nothing or they go full, right. you know, full force and right. they draw their gun and they shoot because, because they're scared because they don't know you only have two options right now. They, they do nothing or they shoot. And in that case, the people they are going to be shooting are people of your nation. You know what I mean? Like these are like their, Great their point. cousins yeah. or, or, you know what I mean? So, and, and as if you're a law enforcement officer, it's the same thing. Like these are the people of your community. So, yeah. It's so important to have that middle ground in in your in your training regiment so that way you can go hands on and you have the ability to transition to more force or less force based on the necessity of the situation. Right, and right. what they what they've done with with that is they've used technology and I'm not bashing technology but like instead of training the officer the middle ground what they do is they go hey well here's pepper spray Instead of training the officer in the middle ground, they go, hey, here's a taser. You know what I mean? But they never right. actually went in and did more thorough training. They just bought gizmos. Right. And, you know, you do you do a lot of functional fitness. And something interesting, I was, I was taught a lot of functional fitness, the kettlebells, the Indian clubs, and a lot of the other stuff. You know, of course, I was climbing ropes as a kid constantly because I was in wrestling from age five on, on into college. But, uh, you know, the functional fitness stuff, and the kettlebells and the Indian clubs made their way into this country uh, many, many years ago when the Germans immigrated here, and they had something called the Turner Halls. And, the, and a guy by the name of Dr. Ed Thomas, who is, in my mind, probably the first and foremost expert on functional fitness, because he grew up training in a Turner Hall in Davenport, Iowa, right here where I live, uh, right next door. 
and the Turner Halls had cargo nets hanging, and kids could serpentine upside down, up and down through the through the ropes, uh, 40 feet into the air. They could climb ropes like monkeys, pommel horses, kettlebells, all kinds of tumbling gymnastics, because the Germans believed that those those Turner Halls that the, that started in Germany were to train the youth um, to have a generation that could defend the nation. Because once you're functionally fit. You can do anything in terms of a fight. You can be taught how to fight. You can be taught how to play any sport because of that. And so you, I see your videos. You're doing a ton of that stuff. And obviously you you hold that in high regard. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you are you you hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, if if you have a a society that's strong and fit, they can be taught to do in that aspect of our full spectrum warrior training philosophy the shooting would be under a technical skill. You know what I mean? Like right. you are the foundation and all that is, is a technical skill. Yeah. And, and with our, with our training philosophy at the full spectrum warrior, like someone like yourself who comes from a martial arts background and being, you know, a world champ, the, the, the aspect of the technical part of fighting, like the strikes or whatever is just one little tiny piece of the big puzzle. Right. You know what I mean? Like you're, you have a strength program, you got a diet, you got people coaching you on mentality. So the opponent doesn't get in your head or you don't beat yourself up, you know, and there, there's all these other aspects of it. And the one little piece that everyone sees is the, the technical part in the ring, but all this other s stuff supports that. Right. And that's really like the meat and potatoes. And then that's like the tip of the spear so, yeah, I, I totally agree like that, that functional fitness and the ability to be healthy and, you know, have endurance to, to create power and all that. And I really like the, the functional fitness stuff for, for me, not only is it is it important to be strong, but I also find that doing a lot of that stuff continues to help me like on a neurological level of doing things that are hard and confusing and having my body constantly trying to figure new things out. So once I start getting good at one thing, I'm like, okay, cool. I kind of get bored with it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how can I make this challenging again? And it, yeah. and to make it challenging, it's not always by adding weight, you know, um, from my opinion, you know, right. it's, I'm and not the biggest, the strongest like, dude out there, you know, like with, but, you know, and when you go right down to the primitive part of fighting, you know, the, the, like I like to call the caveman stuff, you know, the stuff that, that I'm supposed to be good at. Right. Uh, the, the, the functional fitness, you know, teaches me how to move and I've got to learn how to move myself correctly before I can ever begin to move another human being. So that's the biggest problem. You see, you know, the term um, pig pile, you know, when when seven cops have a hold of one guy and they can't figure out how to get him on the ground because they're pulling him 10 different directions. And it's just it's chaos and, and people end up getting hurt and, you know, sprained ankles and, and separated shoulders and broken ribs yeah. and all kinds of stupid, stupid stuff takes place. So that's the thing that we do. We try to focus on is just teaching people how to move first and foremost. They, they have to be able to move themselves first and foremost before they yeah. can ever grab a hold of somebody and be able to even, you know, remotely um, get them to the ground and in prone position and get cuffs on them with, with any semblance of, of, of a skill set, you know. I, it's funny you say that because there's always that troll who comes on my Instagram account hmm. and is like, I feel like all this guy does is teach people how to lay on the ground and walk. And, and there's some truth to it. It's like, yeah, the reason why I'm teaching that is because once you bring people out there and you go to do this stuff, people can't multitask. 
they can't multitask the brain to do a simple movement. I mean, and you've seen this, if you're, if you're out there and you're a personal trainer, you know what I mean? Like there's people who come in, it's like, can they squat? Can they sit in a chair and stand up? Yeah, they do it every day. But as a personal trainer, you watch them do it and you go, oh my God, if they continue this movement pattern, it's no wonder that their back hurts and their knees ache and their ankles ache because mm-hmm. the wrong muscles are doing the movement. Like, can they do the movement? Yeah, but it's not being done with the, it's not being done in the most effective way. So there's a lot of that stuff with us, with just the nature of, you know, sitting in, in a job all day at a desk and having shitty, you know, body posture uh, or being in the vehicle all day. And then, you know, we, we do a lot of things with our sedentary, you know, job and then go to the gym. And a lot of times we're like, yeah, man, I just want to work out, but you make the, the issue worse because you're working the wrong muscles based on what you've been doing all day. And, um, and yeah, man. So, so it's the simple stuff of, of remapping your body to move again, as stupid as it sounds like it really is important. Yeah, it is. It is. And, you know, and as we talk about all of this stuff, obviously the human element is there and there's always got to be humans in a fight, but now we're transitioning and Jeff's, Jeff's going to, Jeff's going to love this cause he's going to completely take over from here. But we've got to talk <laughs> about, we've got to talk about AI. We've got to talk about drones. We've got to talk about, you know, the, the, the crazy robots, uh, the dogs, that, that you know, all the stuff. Dog, with... man. I saw that dog <laughs> creeping around in Singapore and that is just like, that is just the creepiest thing. You know, Boston dynamics is, is like the Terminator lab in the mm-hmm. movie Terminator. Yeah. I, I forget what the hell it's called, but you know Skynet. what I'm saying? Yeah. Skynet. yeah. Skynet dude. It's creepy as shit. Yeah. So, you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, obviously there was some drone stuff going on when you were in, uh, it's accelerated exponentially since you've been out and, Look, they're talking about tracking us. They're talking about, you know, social point systems, all this other crazy stuff, you know. Here's what I'm thinking, you know, and I this is just me saying, well, you know, if if I'm a group of special forces guys that doesn't want this to happen um, and, and have society taken over by this, well, number one, we've got to figure out, you know, how to deal with the media because the media obviously isn't telling us the truth. And, well, where is the brain for Skynet? Yeah, the sad part about it is – so many people have been already become conditioned. They don't care. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I watch people in the airport and I was so pissed when I came to the airport, when I was traveling, you know, out of the country, coming back in and they want to do the retinal scan on you coming back through customs. Yeah. And, you know, it started with the body scans and everyone just, you know, caved into it. And I still refuse to do the body scan. I'm like, I'm opt out. And they're like, oh, come on, seriously, dude. And I'm like, I'm not going through that thing. And they're like, dude. And they're like, we need a male assist. And then everyone just like rolls their <laughs> eyes at you. And they're like, and then I just sit there and stare at them in the face while they're frisking me. And they're like, oh, sir, is there a problem? No, you look angry. Yeah, I don't like being freaking touched by you. They're like, well, you can go through the, I don't want to be body scanned. You know, and they're just like, would you, we need to go in the back room? No, just do your thing. Let's get it over with, mm-hmm. you know, but, but now it's like at the, at the airport, they have that new clear thing where it's even one step further. Now it's not just for people coming in from foreign countries. Now it's everyone like they're going to do the thing that Walmart does where they're going to turn off, you know, you got 30 freaking checkout aisles and they got two open or you can go do <laughs> the, 
the scan thing and every person who's on the scanner is on video surveillance right there in front of you. You got a mic, a freaking video camera right in your face. And, um, you know, now coming into the country, coming, you know, not even coming through customs, but now they're going to slow down all the lines at the airport and they're over there like, yeah, come over here to the clear line. You, the clear line, you just get to go right through and there's no lines whatsoever. And then they start restricting how many people are running the TSA pre-check, you know, because they don't want you doing the body scan anymore. They want you doing the retinal scan. Right. And they want right. to be putting all that stuff in that database. And, you know, people are just like, yeah, man, well, you know, I'm not committing any crimes. So, like, because I, I talk to people about this all the time. And the, and the attitude is, well, I mean, okay, what are they going to spy on me? Like, they, if they knew how boring my life was, no one's going to care what the hell I'm doing, you know. But at the same time, it's it's like, well, yeah, I mean, at this phase, maybe. But when you start seeing what they're doing right now with all this coronavirus stuff and, you know, doing this country shutdown and, you know, I'm going off on a big tangent. But no, well, yeah, trace, that's, that's trace, all, yeah. trace tracking, you know, with cell phones, they're already tracking their cell phones and and talking exactly. about people coming in that's too a close proximity with each other and everything else. And, you know, I'm telling people to get Faraday bags for their phones. Uh, for everywhere you go and, you know, all that sort of stuff so that so that they can't uh, keep track of you. You know, that's the thing. That's just the beginning of, of complete and total, total, uh, you know, I call it green Marxism, you know, with this Agenda 21 and, and all the other stuff, the Skynet, the, the, you know. So, Jeff, you know, you can you can uh, go ahead and jump in on that. Well, no, I mean, like it's, it's pretty much like I'm just agreeing. Everyone's correct. It's it, uh it's this technocracy. They've been planning it forever. And like you said, uh, you mentioned, Rich, it's like it's been this slow conditioning that they've rolled out uh, just to kind of normalize it. You know what I mean? The, it, it... Well, the younger generations now used to everything being on, on surveilled on video. And as a matter of fact, you can't do anything. And I'm guilty of this, too. You know, I'm running a company like, dude, it's the nature of the beast. Like, right. people want to see what you're doing. If you don't video it or take a photo of it, it never happened. Like, people want to that they want to see what's happening every day, you know, and everyone, the children are so conditioned to it. They're used to having the camera in front of their face. They're used to constantly being, you know, put up onto the screen right. that when, when the government's doing it and all this stuff, they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, this is what I do all day. I have nothing to hide. What are you talking about? It's well, and then it's the, it's the, you know, everybody who has a digital footprint, which is everybody besides the few, you know, people that are that are parts of certain families that, that have had, had uh, you know intel experts you know it experts you know blocking the ability to to be able to download what you know their emails or, or things like that but even nsa is picking up all of that but the amish know, amish are kind I, I of did, yeah the, the amish but i decided to run for office they've got every email i've ever sent any any bad thing i've ever said about any politician any any person that i'd like to you know cave their forehead in whatever and they can use that against you to compromise you and make you vote for what they want you to vote for and do what do what you know they want you to do. So that's that's a major problem and in the wrong hands, which I think it's in the wrong hands already. Um, you know, we're all up shit creek without a paddle. Yeah, I think if people actually got to, to see what's happening in China, like it's very interesting. If you yeah. want to do like, uh, I'm sure you guys have seen this, but if if the listeners haven't seen this, if you look up this dude, I forget his name, but basically he went and challenged all the fake martial arts, not the not even the fake martial, these dojos. And these martial artists who were like, like using like kung fu energy. masters and all that. Yeah, those kung fu masters. So this this MMA guy who was like one of the first dudes from China to do MMA, um, 
they were like, MMA is not a real martial art. And he's like, well, let me test it against these other dudes. And he started just beating the crap out of all these Kung Fu guys. And he'd come challenge them and he'd beat the crap out of all these people. And China basically blacklisted him. And they were like, you can't show this stuff because this is ruining our tradition and it's, and it's disrespectful to China. And in right. China, they have this whole thing where you have a social credit score. Yep. And this stuff isn't made up. Like you can go look at it and people don't realize how dangerous this social credit score thing is because this guy who is doing martial arts, he wasn't breaking any laws, but because right. they didn't, the government didn't want him disrespecting the national traditions. They basically gave him this bad social credit score and he couldn't get a bank account. Yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't buy a car. He had he couldn't travel like outside of his town. We, we've talked and, about it often, and this is again a part of that uh, technocracy and the Agenda Twenty One. When people say like, yeah. "Hey, I don't care, collect my data, collect my data." I mean, I guess if you want to acquiesce in that way, that's your choice as an adult. But you know, our, our kids are also you know being tracked because they have phones younger and younger, and more of that data collection creates is created. Like you said, it's we're moving more away from that fiat physical currency and more into that digital currency, and you're not going to be able to play ball if you. Uh, give money to this particular social club or if you drink this too many or you know whatever it is yeah so it's it's exactly how what we're moving towards and it's really really scary because like you said we've just been kind of rocked to sleep and socially conditioned to just kind of accept it yeah and and all these experiments are happening everywhere and like america's like the last stronghold because I, I honestly think that we're the last stronghold because we're the last country that still has armed citizens but, you know, I do a ton of work down in Brazil and a lot of stuff in Europe. And like you just watch you just watch the erosion of these countries. And, you know, people will be like, oh, our politicians wouldn't throw us under the bus like that. And be like, Please. dude, you're if you don't think they would like you haven't been paying attention when they started bringing all these, right. you know, Syrian refugees into Europe. How? At what point, like they said, we're going to bring in Syrian refugees and literally within months, 90 percent of the people coming into to Europe were coming from Africa, coming from Somalia and stuff like that. And it was like, right. I thought we were rescuing Syrians, you yeah, know, yeah. and if you challenged it, if you challenged it, you were then a racist Nazi. And they started it in Germany, which was really easy to do because if anyone opposed it in Germany, then you're obviously a Nazi. So everyone shuts up because no one wants to be called a Nazi. You know what I mean? And with this whole thing of multiculturalism, you're, there is no more European culture. So we can adopt everyone else's culture, right? In, in Europe, you can be anyone else's culture around the world except for the European culture of the country you're in. Yeah. And as these people come over and they do these crimes or, you know, they come over, they don't speak the language, they don't have any money. So how are they supposed to get a job? What are they supposed to do? You know, and then they're doing crimes and stuff because they don't understand the culture. And then the the citizens are being reprimanded because they're like, you're not being understanding enough. They don't understand <laughs> our culture. And it's never like, OK, mind, so now never, never mind that there's huge grooming gangs that are raping thousands of, of European teenage girls and, and children. Exactly. So now what they do is they change the German culture to fit the multiculturalism, yeah. you know? And if you watch this happen, like, dude, there's, they're like 10 years ahead of us. And the same thing down in Brazil, 
they're they're ahead of us in what they're doing with the with the criminals and the prisons and you know down there there's a whole nother thing going on where you have kids who are committing crimes like the most dangerous people down in brazil are like these teenage kids because if you commit if you commit murder as a as like a young teenager you go to like a detention center till you're 18 19 years old and then you're released back into the public um because they find that it's it's not the child's fault that he grew up in these social conditions it's the it's your fault for right. for his, his for his social conditions so if he went and murdered someone it's like well what about the family of the people he murdered well you know they were living in privilege they don't understand this kid's life and his journey and we have to give him a second chance. And it's like, okay, I get where you're coming from with that, from like a, like a, a just being a good person and being, giving forgiveness and stuff. But we don't, but what they're looking past is the fact that now all these criminal gangs are recruiting young teenage kids to go do the, the dirty work because it's like, dude, you're going to go to jail for a year or two. You earn your stripes and you get out. And they literally you know I mean? do. This is this is. I mean, even though this is again those those death by a thousand slices. This is from the playbook of what you know. What we all know now is the new world order: the removal of borders, the removal of sovereignty. This literally pushing towards basically these 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 regionalized new zones. They're balkanizing shit everywhere, almost redrawing the map across the planet for a very much so a long term game that uh, I don't think people quite realize how diabolical it is. And what, as we're, what you're talking about, you know. It's happening like day by day to to fulfill a literally a, a larger agenda. Sorry. Well, if you destroy if you destroy a nation's identity and you make everyone uh, on their own little island, you know, you've got the, the the whites over here, the blacks over here, the Latinos over here, the the Christians over here, the Muslims over here, and it's just constant separation, 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 and now it's mask wearers and no mask wearers that is the ultimate divide. Right. And everybody's on an island, and there's nothing left to fight for. That the that you destroy the nation's the nation's heart, the nation's um, will to fight almost, the reason to fight in a lot of people where they, 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 nobody knows what to identify with anymore. Um, it, certainly, you know, a lot of people that, that I see stumbling around grocery stores with masks on looking, looking at me like with sheepish looks. Um, well, and, and again, death, again, that's a, a part of it, too. Knowledge. That's again, I mean, long game, man. Look at we can barely, you know, have phone calls anymore. Everything is in text. You know, every like, you know, Elon Musk is like, you know, yeah, we're going to do this neural link. We already are kind of symbiotic cyborgs. We have we're tied with our phone. We're almost they're literally like subtly again conditioning us to just become slowly this tram to fulfill this transhumanist agenda of melding us with man and machine. I know it sounds absolutely crazy, but that's that's what's happening, man. Into, it's, into it's that not, AI conversation. It's really not that far fetched. It's, it's really not. not that it's happening. It's totally. And dude, I think. I'm sorry, but Elon well, Musk. I mean, you could say what you want about him, and congratulations to Joe Rogan and his new Spotify deal worth over a hundred freaking million dollars. Good for him. Um, he had Elon Musk on the other day, and it was just. I was up late and I was watching it, but it was so stark to me how casually they were laying out. Yeah, man, just, you know, Neuralink. You know, if you had a stroke and you can't talk, you'll be able to talk. If you had Alzheimer's, yeah, you get your memory back. If you're a paraplegic, you'll be able to get use of all four of your limbs. Yeah, just get this, you know, one-inch diameter hole drilled in your head. You know, they plug. I mean, it was just so casual they laid it out. But that's kind of their, that's almost this new norm. I hate to use that term, but that new norm they're creating. Like, yeah, you know, meld yourself with machine. Everybody's, you're already almost there. You own a phone. It was just crazy. Yeah, yeah, though. 
the whole thing's wild, man. And, and it's going, it's going that direction. And the, one of the, one of the things that is, is interesting about all this stuff is, you know, the, the same people who are at that level, and I'm not saying Elon Musk and Joe Rogan, but like the, these, the people who are at, at these levels that are making all these decisions for the rest of the world, they're all in agreement that the world is too, the population's too big. Right. And there's there's two major major factors here. One is the population's too big, and the 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 human race is the parasite, and it's going to destroy the world, and we're all going to die. You know what I mean? So just like you see all these people who are preaching that there's too many people on the world, you know, none of them are taking the first step to just go off themselves so they can help with the world population. You know what I mean? But they, again, this is not. this they, is the, this is the demonization of humans, which is again from the very playbook of the eugenics who wrote it from UN's Agenda yeah. Twenty One. I mean, this is all from so, the playbook. So, what is good for me is not good for you. What the 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 status or the the lifestyle that I carry isn't the one that I have for you. You know what I mean? And we see this with the pol- the politicians in Washington D.C. is their their rules aren't our rules. No. If we did insider trading. You'd go to jail like that that lady who had the Martha Stewart, yeah. who had the cooking show. She went to jail for insider trading. The politicians have written it in that they can all do insider trading. They're all making millions of dollars. Not all, but like there's a lot of people making a lot of money off this whole COVID thing right now. Trillions, at, bro. I mean, they've I mean, got stocks and all these yeah. respirator companies and all that stuff. Like you'd be really interesting. How do these people have millions of dollar accounts while they're doing public service? But the other the other part of it is. In 10 years from now, over half the jobs, I'm, th- I'm making fake up numbers up, but like, you know, the majority of the jobs in 10 years from now won't be needed to be done by humans, right? By all this technology development. So, what do you do with all these people? Who does the jobs? What do we, what do they do all day? You know what I mean? And I think part of this is kind of a test to see, well, what happens if everyone just has to stay home? And now they're talking about giving like this, this pay, you know, for you to do nothing with money that's fake that they just keep printing, you know, which will be worth nothing here very soon as they transfer to this digital currency. And and all those people that are going to get that universal income have to realize, you know, that by, by serving a purpose of bankrupting this monetary system, which is bankrupt, we all know. And yeah, we're moving on to a new quantum, a quantum uh, digital currency. But the, the people, I want the people that are listening to this. If you're one of the folks getting the universal income, trust me, you're not going to be around very long. They're going to get rid of you. You might want to make yourself useful pretty quick. Right. Find a new that's job. That's a good point. You know, and, that's a, and, and getting to the, you know, when we talk about Skynet and the drones and all the other crazy stuff that's going to be going on, Rich, look, you guys are able to sneak into places that nobody else can get into, right? We already know that. Um, just, just in my experiences, you know, one of the guys that I talked to, a, a team guy, uh, long before we we uh, blew up Iraq, um, he was he was dressed in rags in downtown Baghdad, kneeling like a squatter. Um, he spoke he spoke the language fluently. He looked the part, um, and and all he was doing was gathering intel from the cafes and all that sort of stuff, listening to the the, the shakers and the movers, um, you know, holding conversations and very yeah. interesting stuff. So you guys can infiltrate anywhere you want. You guys are that's that's what you guys do. But when, when AI is up and running and 100% uh, in motion and there's drones and there's eyes in the sky everywhere and, and everybody, you know. Thermal scans. Um, everybody's being watched. Then what do you do? You know, and that's well, then, where I get to the point where it's like, 
Somebody's got to get it, you know, and this is the scariest part, dude. You've got to crash everything to rebuild it, which is either an all-out war, global war, or, you know, EMP attacks in the atmosphere to just fry everything electrical and and, and do away with it, and then everybody's going to friggin' freeze to death if it's in the winter. But yeah. it's, it's almost like the only option at that point if we let it get to that point. Yeah, it's a, the all that drone stuff is really cool when you're the dudes who have it, yeah, <laughs> you know, right. like it's all good until it's not good. And I yeah. know that sounds stupid, but like, if you think about it, you know what I mean? You, when you're, when you're out there and you're doing the work and you have access to the technology that no one knows about yet, and you have that strategic advantage on the battlefield, it's, it's really cool. But at the same time, you're like, dude, what if we're, what if the, other team ever gets this stuff right and and then now you're you know what i mean so there's all these drone things but now there's companies that have you know there's companies now and most people don't realize this that when they have a stadium at like a football nfl football stadium like there's companies that are hired to to put up a force field around that stadium to protect it from drones so there's right. radio frequencies that are scrambling and, and stopping the drones, you know what I mean, from doing that stuff. But at the same time, you know, the FAA is, is involved with – I just got a notification the other day like, um, you know, I, a few years ago I got a drone from DGI, that drone company, right, or the technology company, that, and they make the drones. And I got like that Mavic Pro when it first came out. Okay. And when I bought it, you had to sign – a release saying that DJI gets to download everything that you record and all the photos you take and wherever you fly that drone, they're downloading that. And I don't know if everyone ever looks at it, but like there, anything you want to do on that drone, they get to collect that data. Mm. And if you don't agree to those terms, like your drone won't fly. The computer won't let you fly the drone until you agree to that. And if you, if you don't agree with it, you have 30 days to return the drone. You know, but and that's almost the like, same thing uh, with our apps on our phone. Even the dumbest the periscope or anything. Hey, do you give me access to your camera, your mic? I mean, it's just for whatever reason we say yes and then wonder why they're listening to us. We gave them permission. So so we we give them permission to do that and the FAA is involved in this. I just got an email like a week ago from the FAA saying um that they're now granting access to certain companies. Right. So they're now the airspace that you used to have. The FAA came in and started restricting it because of cities and stadiums and all this kind of stuff. Now what they're doing is they're coming in and they're restricting more airspace because they're going to grant airspace to companies like Google and Amazon and other companies that they want to allow to start sending stuff out to do deliveries and whatnot. So what's going to happen is uh, what my prediction on this is, is pretty soon you doing a private com- private or commercial drone you know usage for fun is going to start getting really heavily restricted because now they're going to start selling the sky to the companies and the companies are going to own that airspace and a lot of that's over your house and right now they're using drones like in Florida and planes and drones and satellites they fly it over your house they take a picture of your yard and then they compare it to the picture of your yard from last year and they go, hmm, is there anything different here? Do they pull permits? And I had a friend who like put a, a lanai over her back porch and she didn't pull a permit. And they, the city of Orlando came in and said, hey, 
We noticed that Zion, based on they sent her the photos, and the photos came from like a drone or a satellite or a plane, but it's this aerial photo of her house, and it's like, what's that? We don't have a record that you pulled a permit for that lanai that you put over your back porch. That's crazy. You need to take it down and pay a fine. And then she's like, okay, well, can I just pay the fine and keep the lanai? They're like, nope, you have to tear it down. We're going to come inspect it, make sure you took it down. And if you want to put up a lanai, you have to pull a permit and submit engineering drawings and an architectural draft, you know, which is expensive. Right. And then go through the proper channels and then pay for your permit and then have the inspector come out, all this stuff. And it's like, this isn't even like an actual livable structure. It's just a little. Right, 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 right. Like an awning almost. Like an awning, yeah. And. And, um, but I'm just saying like, that's, they're, they're doing this stuff and starting to own the airspace over your house. And it's going to, going to get more and more restricted now that they're going to start utilizing the technology, not only for surveillance from the tax department, but they're going to start using it for, you know, shipping products and all that stuff. And maybe that's more of a convenient way to, to move stuff. But now again, you know, you're going to have stuff, you know, over your house monitoring, you, you know, that as they fly those over, they're going to be taking in data and using that to collect the information, just like that car that drives around with all the Google video cameras. Right. I mean, um, but, uh, yeah, but they're yeah, talking about just, all the semis being, being, uh, you know, so that's, fired. that's what I was talking about before is in 10 years from now, all these jobs are not going to be needed. Right. So if you don't have the mailman anymore or the, the UPS driver, because it's being delivered by drone, and you don't have the semi truck drivers because all the cars are automated. You don't need people at the checkout counter at the restaurant because it's automated. Well, who's going to do all these, well, all these jobs they're replacing by robots. Well, what do we do with the people who used to do those jobs? And now they're saying like green dude, feed them to the machine. Yeah. yeah, The world's too populated. We're, we're wrecking the environment and crap. We don't have jobs for you. You're not, they've already started programming the, the, the mind part of it of non-essential non-essential exactly you know what i mean like your job's essential your job's not essential you know essential jobs can reopen and it's like okay i i I didn't realize that you know you got to determine you know whose families were good to eat and whose families you know job wasn't important when we're talking about raising a family and and paying for your mortgage and all this kind of stuff like i'm glad you guys are deciding that for us it's a brave new world bro brave new world yeah, yeah. you know, you ask like, who the fuck is Fauci? Who the fuck is Bill Gates? Who who elected those guys to the you know head of the world global health policy? But yeah, they're. I mean, I guess the government officials are clearly following their lead. I saw government uh, Pritzker today said anybody opening their business could get a year in prison. And I saw somewhere else a guy was walking out of the gym and like six cops came to arrest him. It's like you know, this ain't the America we once knew, dude. I don't know what's gonna happen. Was that- was that in New Jersey? I think uh, I forget the name of the city. I honestly, but there was like a whole bunch of people outside. It's, I don't know. It was, but that's happening a little bit of everywhere. People are just you know either having their gyms closed or choosing to stay open and nobody comes. It's you know closing closing everything down for you know almost two months now. Who had capital reserves enough to just open up and act like nothing happened? For it's a bar, or restaurant, did you have enough money to you know? Oh, it's op- crazy. You open know up now and buy you know what's product. Crazy about it too. It's when you look at like first off property tax is essentially illegal. You know what I mean? They implemented property tax in when they first wrote the constitution, the bill of rights and all that kind of stuff, you were supposed to be able to own your land. And what they did is they implemented something along the way when they created the public school system called property tax. And the property tax was not of tax. Like, no, you weren't paying rent. You know, you own your land, but 
to fund the public school system, we need to do a property tax. Now, the problem with that is if you don't pay your property tax, you lose your house. Right. So you basically have to pay rent, even if you don't have kids. Like, I don't have kids, but I'm paying property tax. And, you know, okay, well, if, if 90% of the money in most towns property tax goes to the school systems and the schools are closed and they're not talking about opening up till the end of the year. it's like, okay, well, why am I paying you property tax then? So each month when I pay my mortgage, they're taking money out from my property taxes. And it's like, dude, half of my mortgage over half of my mortgage is taxes and insurance. You know what I mean? So I'm like, dude, you guys are, you guys are taking like a huge chunk of my budget every month for me to pay for something, one, that I don't even use, but two, that you're not supplying because no one's going to school right now. But they won't. I, I very, I, I doubt that they're going to give that money back. You know, <laughs> highly, uh, highly doubtful. That's, that's the yeah. thing that I was talking about is because, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, closing the, the public pools, um, you know, not having 4th of July events, all this other stuff, you know, taking away amenities and everything else because it can't come out of you know, community, uh, you know, security, you know, law enforcement, fire departments, all that sort of stuff. So they'll just sacrifice the, you know, the pools and things like that. Well, you know, my daughter's a swimmer, right? She needs somewhere to practice. Um, she's been swimming in an infinity pool. Not all kids can do that. And, you know, they're going to be doing some, some, some band work where they have a band attached to them with a, with a, a, a waist uh, belt around them and, and just swimming in place against the band type stuff. But you know what? Um, it, it's, and some of the kids are getting wetsuits and going to be swimming in lakes and, and stuff like that and making do, uh, because these kids are, I mean, they're hardcore, you know, you know how it is. You, you were a seal, you swam a lot. Swimmers are freak athletes and, and do some pretty incredible stuff, but nonetheless, you know, you, this isn't, and we know this isn't about at all about a pandemic. We know it's about the financial collapse, about the monetary reset. So, you know what? The thing is, there's enough of us that get it. The gig's up, man. I mean, I said it the minute they, they called the lockdown, and so did Jeff, and so did you, Rich. This is all about a financial collapse. This has nothing to do with safety of human beings. For God's sakes, they want us all dead anyway. That's that's the reason for this. So, you know, that's the thing that we've got to do is wake people up and go, you know what? When they tell you to do something, how about we not all just – we'll just all not do it and just say no, and then it doesn't work. Yeah, I said that the other day. I was like, what if everyone just – got up and went to work today what if every business owner just went to work and said you know what i'm opening my doors and everyone just walked outside and said you know what we're going we're going back to to how we how we had our our stuff going like what are they going to arrest all of us right you know and the lawsuits are already starting to fly that's when they have to do the global war well yeah the lawsuits are already starting to fly like it it amazes me to think of Someone who's spent their whole life, you know, got their family and, and all this stuff, and here they are, they're they're older, it's your parents or whatever, and they're dying, you know, on their on their deathbed or whatever, and the government says that you're not allowed to go visit them. You know what I mean? It's like, hey dude, if I want to take the risk and and I want to go see my my father or mother on their last days here on earth, you know alive and you're going to tell me I can't do that. You know what I mean? Or you're going to tell me that, that, that I can't go home and just die in peace in my own house. Like the whole thing is just, just nuts. And, and knowing that this whole thing is essentially a planned 
you know, hoax or, or, you know, this whole thing was, you know, man-made and manipulated. It's just, it's even more insult to injury, Yes, you know, and the, the tricky part is, is, you know, I got to be careful what I say, but at the same time, it's the, the tricky part is, is when you wake up every morning, when you know it and you look and, and you look in the mirror, like you have that attitude every day and you're like, man, why doesn't anyone, how does anyone just let this happen? Right. And then you look in the mirror and you go, I am such a bitch. I am one of the people who's just sitting here letting it happen. I might talk about it, but what am I actually doing? You know what I mean? And, and just letting this whole thing get trampled until it gets to the point where it's going to be so far gone. Right. It's going to be like impossible to actually to fix. And then we might already be at that point. Well, where the, the infrastructure is so set in place. And you see that yes. with the deep state stuff. Like yeah. you try to, you know what I mean? It's like everyone knows or the, there's the, these, you know, moles in the, in the white house and people are leaking information and, you know, there's all this backstabbing and, and all this stuff going on with, within the people who are supposed to be trustworthy and have America. Like when you have informants and the CIA and the FBI and all this stuff working against the president and and everyone's just like in on it, you know what I mean? There's just there's this, there's right, almost like a that left right game yeah, is just for all of us to watch the bouncing ball. Well, yeah, and the thing and like to see that to, and to re, it's it's been it's not even a theory anymore. You know, I've heard of Agenda Twenty One for since it came out in '93, and this and I've learned more about what that was a pretty much an extension of, which was climate change, eugenics, etc. When you see it all actually play out now. It's really not a puzzle, and you realize it definitely goes way beyond any right-left democratic, because um, this is affecting the globe. This is a global reset. This isn't just about any certain city, state, municipality, country. This is completely global what they're doing here. But to know it's been planned forever and to see what they're willing to do, I mean, I, I know this. Yeah, there's, 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 there's no, there's nothing that these guys won't do. You know, they blew their president's head off. They've killed millions of people to achieve their larger goals. But to kind of see right now. What's going on based off of what, you know, you were alluding to a pandemic, you know, basically, you know, God love everybody who's been affected by it, but they hyped up flu and they hyped up the numbers, the millions of people that they're affecting personally, millions of businesses. It's, it's ridiculously diabolical, bro. And I asked you, you ask a great question. How long can we let this go and what are we going to do? And me personally, man, before it does get too hot and too crazy, I think speaking out what you're doing, what we're doing is hopefully some people awakening people because you can't change shit unless you recognize something's going on so once you could become aware of it hopefully your behavior changes and then the recipe like we all we've been talking about is not participating when they ask you to do this shit just don't fucking participate they can't arrest us all but the more we go along with it and the more we make it this new normal the harder the fight is so on what you're saying right there is is one of the reasons before i brought up that whole thing with the social credit score so what they're doing in China is what they're going to start or what they're trying to implement here with that social credit score where they can use your technology to go, hey, you've been in proximity with so-and-so or you haven't, you know, we have it here that you haven't had your vaccine or you haven't done this or that. Um, and they're going to start using that technology to where if you don't have that uh, where they're talking about doing like this, the vaccine where you get the little chip so they can scan you like – Hey, dude, if you haven't got the, the, the chip and you don't have the wristband or you don't have the mark that you've had the vaccine, sorry, well, you can't come in this store. We can't serve you. 
You know what I mean? Store, oh, like ride the bus, see... get on a plane, come to this basketball yeah, game. So they... Bank account, so, everything. Everything. So that is that is a like a foot in the door for implementing what China's already doing with the social credit score. And with that social credit score, what happens is you you lose freedom of speech. You lose all these freedoms because what's going to happen, you go, well, if I really truly speak my mind, you know what I mean? Yeah. Then you it's going be, to be used against me yes. and they're not going to let me in any of the stores. Just me saying a minute ago, like, yeah, man, when you look in the mirror, I feel like a bitch because I'm like, well, what am I really doing? People are like, oh, he's inciting violence. We need to shut him down. Like all of my social media stuff constantly gets – you know, the, the Instagram and YouTube and uh, Facebook, like all these people, all these agencies or, or not agencies, like technology companies have basically shadow banned my company because it has to do with firearms. Even though I'm not showing anything illegal with firearms, the fact that they don't like guns, right? Like, you... Or the ability to take care of yourself with them. Yeah, I was going to say the last yeah. thing the deep state or the state wants in general is a well-informed, self-sufficient and well-armed society. Yeah, like I, I have the I have this screenshots of what my account was doing to what it's doing now. And it was just like one day it was like, boom, everything stopped. And it just and you hit the plateau. And it's like I used to hit the explore page and I might make a post on Instagram and a video would have, you know, 250, 400,000 views I would get like 7,000 new followers from the post. If I look at the Explore page, you know, 250,000 people saw it from the Explore, 100,000 from hashtags. Like, you know, we had a lot of momentum. And then just like that, like I kept hitting, it was like growing, growing, growing so fast. I had all this momentum and then it just stopped. And now it's like, there's no one sees it from the Explore page. I'll make a post and put 15 or seven or whatever hashtags of, you know, good solid hashtags that should get a lot of traction. And you'll look at the insights and no one will be zero, zero views from hashtags, zero views from the explore page. They won't let anyone who's not already following the account, see it. And what they're doing is, is, you know, I'm not trying to be like a crybaby, but the, but the fact of the matter is they're suppressing free speech yeah. So unless you're like, you know what I mean? Like, and our well, and second in the amendment, meantime, Rich, yeah, go ahead. In the second amendment, go ahead. And the second amendment isn't illegal. So right. to suppress the free speech and to suppress being able to see people do training with firearms and firearms being used in a legal manner, right? Like they're deciding which of our God-given rights are, you know, legit legitimate to be seen you know what i mean and this is well, all then, part uh, of that social you know, that social um thing that they're doing in china already where they where they start your social credit score where they start going you know uh do you get to be heard do you get to go out in public do you get to buy things or not well and that's the thing we it, all sign on to we all use facebook we all use instagram we all use twitter and we click that thing that says yes we will abide by these guidelines but it's these tech companies that are deciding like you said yeah. What you as an adult can consume, they get to decide what you can consume as an adult. And it's just obviously well, and it, Yeah, and in the meantime, you know, you get a Candace Owens type person who pops up on the scene out of nowhere, mind you, and already has 2 million followers out of the blue. You know, it's the intelligence community doing that sort of stuff, um, you know, and, and she's a plant and a, and a psyop most likely, you know, when that stuff is when that stuff's going on. Right. So it's just 
the, as long as they they toe the line of the left right paradigm, um, that's that's all they care about. True, that's man. all they care about is keeping people fighting amongst each other. Divide yeah, and conquer for sure. It's a good point. They don't yeah. they don't want free thinkers. Yeah, so we are free thinkers, and uh, you know, listen, Rich, this has been amazing. We don't want to keep you too much longer. So what I would love to do is look. Let's get you more followers on Instagram and all your social media. Let's get people going to your website. So please tell our listeners how they can find you, brother. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. So our website is fullspectrumwarriors.com. And um, on Instagram, it's fullspectrumwarriorusa. Or the second one is fswinc for Full Spectrum Warrior Inc. So that's the uh, the community page. You can see the people who come and train with us. And then Full Spectrum Warrior USA is my personal page. Um, and then on Instagram, if you go to this, if you go to fullspectrumwarriors.com, the website, it has the links to all the social media stuff. Beautiful, beautiful. Awesome. Man. I'd, love, I'd love to have, I'd love to have you guys, uh, out to the ranch and to do a podcast with you guys on the full spectrum warrior podcast. That'd be awesome. I know people would love to hear from you from, from, from our sphere of influence. That'd, and, be, that'd uh, be great. I'd love to do some training with you guys and, you know, Pat, you could teach me some shit as far as the combatives goes. I'd love to, you know. Learn you, I'll teach you. Stuff. I'll teach you the caveman ways. You teach me the surgeon ways. How's that? Yeah, let's do it. I'd love it. I'd love it. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Rich Graham, man. Rich, thank you so much for joining us. Thank and for you, my brother. broadcast partner, Jeffrey Wilson. Uh, thank we'll you, let, guys. Let you all go. Thank you, guys. <laughs>